Welcome to episode number 307 of Category 5 Technology TV. It's Tuesday, the 6th of August, 2013. Great to see you. I'm Robbie Ferguson. And I'm Becca Ferguson. Well, hello, Becca Ferguson. <laughs> Just kind of scoot over here a little bit. How you doing, beautiful? Pretty good. How are you? She's my wife. <laughs> Come on. I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. Coming up in the news. Coming up in the news. <laughs> We've been together all day, so. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing? Well, the same yeah, as like, I was uh, doing half an hour yeah, ago. Yeah, we were like playing with kids. <laughs> we had pizza for dinner. It was good. All right, what's up? Coming up in the newsroom. Dub has left a Trojan for art directors who Photoshop their models, a tool to make them look even more beautiful with a single click. Neat. A new 9-speed automatic transmission gives 100 kilometers for every 5.3 liters of fuel. A concept mission to land humans on Mars has been proposed by scientists at Imperial College London. And Disney is testing a new airflow tactile gaming technology. Nice. So stick around. These stories are coming up later in the show. We get this question on the show once in a while, and it's really, really tough for us to tackle what we're going to do tonight. So I'm going to attempt it, uh, but we get the question, how do I take a real computer and virtualize it into a virtual machine? The time that it takes to do that is so great that we've never been able to fit it into a one-hour show. So we thought about, okay, hum and hod, how can we do this? And so we actually pre-recorded tonight's feature so that we could edit everything together for you. So stick around. We're going to be learning how to do that very, very thing. Take our Windows 7 uh, laptop here at the studio. We're going to convert it to an actual virtual machine. And we're going to give you some use case scenarios why that's an awesome thing. So stick around. You don't want to miss it. So don't go anywhere. It's going to be a great show. I believe her. <laughs> a great show. A great <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Yeah, is this See a cereal commercial? Nah, could be. Could be. Sounds great. <laughs> this is Category 5 Technology TV. EcoAlkalines, we believe you should be able to trust your batteries not just here, but here, here, and here. But with one exception, you should also be able to trust your batteries here. EcoAlkalines are the world's first and only certified carbon neutral battery manufactured to the highest standards of recycling and quality, without any trace amounts of harmful chemicals like mercury, lead, or cadmium. EcoAlkalines provide performance that rivals leading national alkaline battery brands at a comparable price. Find out more about the EcoAlkalines difference. EcoAlkalines.com This is Category 5 Technology TV. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight. Uh, great show planned for you. I want to first and form, uh, foremost, almost foremost, it's like I'm reading this stuff. <laughs> no, foremost. I want to thank uh, everybody who has sent in donations, not just this week, but uh, you know, all the time. But uh, all the donations that we receive here at the show, we're volunteers, and the show, you know, is is basically set up in such a way that we're supported by the limited amount of advertising that we have, as well as your donations. So, uh, to those who have donated this week, uh, as well as those who have recurring donations that happen once a month, we appreciate you and and just want to extend thanks for all the support that you give us. If you would care to send in a donation to help us with uh, the development of Studio D, which is our big uh, development project right now, more information is coming about it, but uh, if you'd like to support that, it's cat5.tv slash c, and we thank you for it. Tonight, uh, if you have questions for, uh, for us, you can email us live at category5.tv, pick up the phone, give us a call on the cat phone, 2545 Cat 5 TV or visit our website www.category5.tv If you have a mobile device I'll encourage you to bring that up scan this QR code right here and that's going to load up our mobile website m.cat5.tv and uh, if you have a tablet uh, mobile device you can actually watch the show live uh, you can listen to the show live uh, there's some great features there as well and you can, you can catch past episodes it's pretty cool to have um, and we love um, being able to offer that for you 
Category 5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. And the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Thanks, Becca. Well, what would you possibly want to virtualize a real physical computer for? I think about a good use case scenario is somebody who is using a computer for business purposes or whatever, and they want to take, let's say you're on Windows, and you, there's something tying you down to Microsoft Windows. It could be a piece of software um, that specifically is only available on Windows. Mm -hmm. So can't really switch to Linux because that software is not available on Linux, perhaps. So you know you want to make that switch, but it's not possible for you. You could install everything over again, but that's so much work, and then you've got to get licensing and so on and so forth. So what we're going to look at tonight is actually taking that physical running computer that you have, and we're going to convert it to a virtual machine. So this is a two-part series. Tonight we're going to get into the steps of actually creating the image. We're going to use the so we're going to get obtain all the software that we're going to use to do this, and uh, and we're going to actually create the virtual machine and create a virtualized version of the laptop that Becca is using tonight. Um, and then next week we're going to proceed to actually create make it so that it's bootable and we can get into Windows 7 and all that kind of stuff. So it's a, it's an exciting thing to be able to offer you, and I hope that you'll enjoy. And and we're going to talk a little bit uh, later about all the different ways that this can be used. Uh, but first and foremost, we're going to use a couple of pieces of software that are available for you free. One of the big ones is called Clonezilla. And you can grab that from clonezilla.org. We're not actually going to download it from clonezilla.org tonight. We're going to use a different piece of software, which I'm going to show you. Uh, but let me just pull up their website so that you can see that. Okay. Clonezilla.org, and there's downloads over on the left-hand side. We've been onto this website before, and we will be back here again tonight because we're going to need to go there to get a, an ISO file in a little while. But we're not ready for that just now. What we want to do is we actually want to take my flash drive. We're going to take this drive, and we're going to turn this into a bootable Clonezilla device. All right. These things are great because you can reuse them over and over again. It only cost me a couple bucks at the store. The, the price of Flash Media has come down so much. It's crazy. I remember my first 128-gig flash stick was like $100. Yeah. Remember when we... Because yeah. we used to own a business together, and we remember when we invested, and we bought, like, stock of <laughs> flash drives, and it was ridiculous. We had, like, what were they, like, 4-meg flash drives, and we had, like, yeah, lots like and lots of them because uh, we got a deal on them because they mm -hmm. were so expensive back then. This is an 8-gig drive, and I can reuse it over and over and over again. And as long as I don't physically break it, uh, it's reusable up until, you know, so many reads and writes. They're not safe to store data on because it has a finite amount of use. Um, they will eventually die, and you'll lose all the data that's on it. So, But for what we're using, it's transient. We're going to actually create a Clonezilla uh, ins installation media on here rather than having to use, like, a DVD or something and burn ISOs and waste a DVD. So the way that I want to do that, I want to use a special tool that is called UNet Bootin. It's available for free. It's in your repositories on Linux. Um, so all you have to do, uh, in our case, we're on Point Linux. I'm going to bring up Synaptic Package Manager. This is the same for Ubuntu, for Debian, uh, basically any Debian-based system. And I'm going to search for UNet Bootin. UNet Bootin. Sounds kind of from Texas. UNet Bootin. Or maybe that sounds more Canadian. I don't know. Who knows? Okay, so I'm just going to install that with Synaptic Package Manager. This is a fantastic tool that's going to allow us to basically turn this flash drive into all different kinds of distributions, including that Clonezilla, uh, which we want to use uh, to create our image of that laptop. Really, really straightforward. Now that I've got it installed, there we go. Easy breezy. I'm going to bring up, uh, well, first of all, I'm going to plug this into my computer here, and then that brings up the window for the flash drive. And now I'm going to bring up UNet Bootin, which is already installed, doesn't take long at all. And there's something that I want to see here. To look down at the bottom, it's going to basically, by default, it's going to write to SDE1, and that's the only drive that it detects that it can use as a USB drive. But my drive is actually mounted on media slash whatever. 
So I want to make absolutely certain that, that UNet Booten is going to be writing to the correct drive because we don't want to accidentally put the files in the wrong place or overwrite files. So I'm going to use this command sudo mount and then pipe grep sde1. And what that's going to do is it's going to actually allow me to uh, see the, uh, the mount point. And there it is. And it does match. So we're good to go. Okay, so with that, now we know that it is writing to, so SDE1 is the correct drive, that's good. So now all I want to do is I want to change my distribution. You see there's a lot of them available to you. Like look at that, there's Ubuntu, there's all these different versions of Linux, but there is Clonezilla, and that's the one that we're actually using tonight. And there's the version there. So we're good with SDE1, we've determined that, and we're just going to proceed with that and it's good to go. It really doesn't take long for this to take place and uh, that'll be ready for us back in just a couple of moments so then we'll have this flash drive that we can boot from and it's easy breezy we've got this thing. I love using flash drives with UNet Bootin because I can do Clonezilla now and then two weeks from now I might need um, let's say I need gpartEd and I want to use the gpartEd live CD but I don't need to keep on burning CDs and I don't need to keep stacks of CDs anymore and mm -hmm. label them with a sharpie or yeah. whatever else <laughs> used to have boxes and I know boxes. Well, actually you still do you haven't gotten I have to go through them okay I gotta sort them out because room. I didn't sharpie them all because my sharpie was dead so you know it's like I gotta figure out okay well what was this one and <laughs> yeah but that's but that's the will. nasty thing that's you'll never bother to go through all these unlabeled CDs. right and why so they sit there in a box yeah exactly because you don't know really what's on it and that's what used to happen before you had the ability to use something like UNet Bootin because you would literally burn a DVD for every install that you wanted to do and then oh well where did my Ubuntu installer disk go oh I can't find it so I'll burn another copy yeah. so you end up with 10 different copies it's wasteful it's bad for the environment but it's also it's just like you end up with all this these stacks of junk in the garage kind of mm -hmm. thing and it's well what good is that so that's already done so well it's just wrapping up it's just installing the bootloader that's kind of the final step anyways um, doesn't take long to to get this up there we go now it's asking me if I want to reboot I don't actually want to reboot in this case because I'm not using it in this computer I actually want to use it to uh, to make a clone of our laptop. So I'm going to eject it from the computer and plug it into the laptop. Um, first I'll show you, you remember what it looked like, the file system of that drive, but you see that it's actually got a lot more files added to it now. And keep that in mind because we're going to bring it up on the Windows system too. So we'll safely unmount that. There we go. And pull it out of here. And uh, we'll plug that into the laptop, but before we do that uh, we'll get you to log in and then I'm going to just throw a folder on the desktop here. And this is going to be kind of our test case, so uh, so that when we create the image and create the virtual machine, it's going to look like uh, it's going to be a, an exact duplicate of what we see here right now. So this is just so that the viewers at home can see that, yeah, it's everything. So here's a test file. And we'll throw some text into that. There we go. And of course, all of our applications are going to be intact as well. That's what's nice about this whole process. So if I have Microsoft Word installed, if I have whatever applications that you know I've already got my computer set up the way that I want so now when I virtualize that all of that stuff is still there mm -hmm. so that's pretty fantastic so uh, so just plug that into the laptop here and that's gonna come straight up on the screen there we go so we're just gonna I'll just show you again the file structure you can see that okay Windows has detected it because it's a fat32 drive uh, as it should be so now we're just simply going to reboot and that's going to come up in just a couple of moments time and, and we'll be good to go. The, the thing is you've got to make sure that your boot order is going to boot from USB now because we're using a USB device to boot from so mm -hmm. your BIOS has to support it. It needs to be a, a new enough system to support booting from USB. Mm -hmm. If your computer is too old, let's say your use case is I've got a really old computer, uh, the software is no longer available and so I want to virtualize it because it, it can't, you know, it's going to fail. It's 10 years old or 20 years old even, mm -hmm. and I want to have a virtual machine of that system. So in that case, you may not have the ability to boot from USB. You might want to actually download Clonezilla right. and burn the ISO to a DVD in that mm -hmm. case. Well, a CD. 
uh, because it probably won't have DVD reader. So mm -hmm. in our case, USB is good. It's a fairly new laptop. We've had it for a few years here, and it, it works really well. So, so with that, I have to... Um, I have to first, now it's asking me for, okay, so I'm gonna hit F11 at post here. And by hitting F11, that's gonna bring up my boot menu. And you'll see we've had to revert to a camera here just because we don't have a running operating system. I've selected USB, and because we're using a camera, I'm gonna select a low resolution just to help the text to be a little bit larger. And those are really the only, you know, you're probably gonna just choose default. This is gonna just quickly go through the boot up process as I have a sip of my coffee. That stuff, you know, doesn't really matter to you. It's all just Linux gibberish, really. But we're kind of showing you here in real time at this point. Okay, so we're ready. We're going to choose English in my case. And do we want to change the key map? No, we're going to leave that as is. And we're going to start Clonezilla. So we're going to do device to image in our case. We're not doing device to device because we're not saving to a hard drive. We're actually creating an image that we want to be able to restore from. And that's just a fancy way of saying it. it's like an exact copy of your computer. So where do you want to save it? You want to use a local device, SSH server, Samba server, or NFS server. We're going to use Samba, which is a Windows file share. Um, so we're going to save it to our Unraid server. And uh, that's what it uses. So now I've got a network cable plugged in so I can connect with DHCP and just change the IP address of the server to 10.0.0.5 in my case your server will be different or computer that you're saving to and hit enter for the domain my username is Robbie on that server and I want to save to the TMP mount point so and then just enter my password follow the prompts it's pretty straightforward but you can see there it was able to mount home part image to temp which is great so do I want to save the local disk as an image? That's what I want. I don't want to save local partitions as an image. I want to save the whole disk. So that's going to save the partition table and all the data that's there. And this one you can leave as default. And here I'm just going to disable the first option, dash C, uh, which basically is it's going to ask me questions as it goes because I know this is going to take a long, long time to run. I don't want it to pause while it's just asking me to push Y to accept or something like that. So that's all I want to do. Okay, what kind of compression do you want? You can use gzip, it's fantastic. I would probably go with bzip too. It's gonna to take a little bit longer, but I don't mind sacrificing time for um, a smaller image. Uh, so I'm gonna choose the second option. And that just makes it so that it takes up less space on our network. Okay, so I'm gonna hit enter on this. This is just the file name that we wanna save. And this is our internal, actual physical hard drive in the laptop. It's detected that, so I need to. it's already selected. If you have multiple hard drives, you might need to select which one. And then just follow the prompts, hit enter, and it's like it's detecting the NTFS file system and going through. And it looks like it's speeding through, but the actual process is going to be quite time-consuming. Here it goes. It's not actually 100% complete. Don't be deceived. This is going to take overnight, folks. There we go. Okay, so now it's actually creating an image of the physical hard drive, and uh, that's going to take quite a bit of time, to be honest with you. So we're going to just kind of let that go. And uh, in the meantime, we're actually going to jump into the news uh, nice and early tonight um, as that goes through the process. So what it's actually doing is it's imaging that whole laptop computer's hard drive, including all the partitions, all the files, all the programs, the Windows operating system, and it's placing it on my server in the TMP share. So, Neat. <laughs> yeah, so if you're ready to uh, take it away with the news, then we'll jump into that, and then uh, we're going to come back in a few moments' time, and we're going to look at the status of that, and, and uh, we're going to proceed with our feature tonight. So don't go anywhere. Okay. Here are the top stories from the Category 5.tv newsroom. The Real Beauty campaign continues its assault on Photoshop by fighting fire with fire. But battles can't always be fought head-on. Sometimes it's advantageous to infiltrate the enemy for a sneak attack, which is exactly what Dove is doing in its ongoing war against unrealistically savelt depictions of women in advertising. At the very least, Dove is making a strong statement with their latest tool. Dove Canada's latest endeavor is a sneaky way to hit the perpetrators of such ads right at the source, their computers. The team responsible for the campaign created a Photoshop action called Beautify, a downloadable <laughs> file that makes a change with a single click 
in this case aimed at photography creatives who might be photoshopping their models. The company hopes to spread Beautify by leaving it on sites like Reddit, which art directors and the like are known to frequent, presenting it as an aid for retouching. Beautify claims to make the model more beautiful with a single click, and what Beautify actually does is revert photoshopped images back to their original state. Really? <laughs> Well, that's yes, sneaky, 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 sneaky. That's kind of funny, really. It's it's a different tactic than what the what we're used to with Dove Canada because usually they they're really really smart with um, stuff that is is just like it's powerful stuff, like to to make people go, oh, you know, maybe it's really a bad thing that people are photoshopping these mm -hmm. images. That sounds more like it's a bit of a almost a joke or a little bit of a ha ha at the expense of whoever downloads it. Now, is this in any way associated with Dove? Like, will they recognize the Dove name when they go to download this the tool and think, oh, this is Dove, this, there's oh, got to no. be a trick here? Well, until, until they actually, like, because so imagine you're, so you're using Photoshop, you're some bigwig magazine editor, and you're working on the cover, and you've got your model, and you're slimming the hips, and you're ch changing the cheekbone structure, and all the stuff that they do that's crazy, mm -hmm. and then uh, they get a hold of this tool that is called Beautify, and it says, with the single click, it's going to make your model more beautiful. Basically, that's the sales pitch. It doesn't say anything so about that. So they've cloaked it... As an so actual their name tour. is nowhere on uh, it. Tool, pardon me. No, that's right. The name is nowhere there. It's I nowhere think, there until you run it. people would associate the name Dove with yeah. these self-esteem campaigns, yeah, and they would sure. think, this this can't be right. Right, yeah, <laughs> nobody would download it. No, it, it's literally just, it's completely not associated with Dove up until the point when you run it. So they're working on the magazine cover. It's all fandangled, and they've done all this work to the, to the model. And then they run Beautify, and it looks like it's like magically doing work to the photo, but actually mm -hmm. what it's doing is reverting the whole model to its original photograph. Mm -hmm. So undoing all of the beautiful, all of the stuff that they've done and they call it yeah. beautify, which is kind of, I think it's just they'll roll their eyes and they'll click on do. So. And then, you know, because well, what happens, I don't so see when how that happens, it's going to affect any, any sort yeah. of change when it happens, just so you know, it actually brings up this message on the screen as part of the photograph, so it adds this to the photo. It says, don't manipulate our perceptions of real beauty from Dove Canada, Dove Positive Change. And then it, they do go on to say on that message, just undo to go back. So they're not being malicious with it. They call it a Trojan because it's a, you know, it's a trick. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. I don't know, would it bring about change? Like there, I can't see it bringing about change as long as women are all wearing fake eyelashes on TV yeah. shows and they're covered in makeup. The magazines have to compete with that. So if you just had women without fake eyelashes just looking like your average women, they wouldn't compare to the women on the TV. And yeah, so true. there's always going to be that competition. And, and nobody wants to be the first guy because they'll just get drowned. But that's what Dove others. has done all along. And then all of a sudden they bring this out. It's, it just seems a little bit hokey, a bit more like a joke. It seems more like it'll raise more awareness with people like us talking about it and discussing it than the actual Maybe. application, because that's Maybe just that's some guy who will idea. probably never mention it to anyone except perhaps with a, a snarky remark. Right. But Or if they're watching a show like this, they won't even download it in the first place because they've already let the cat out of the bag. Yep. Now you know. <clears throat> now you know, graphic designers. Watch out for Beautify. <laughs> It'll undo all your changes. <laughs> hey, check this out. Uh, if you're into powerful cars and vehicles, imagine having nine speeds to your automobile. That's what's coming, folks. The all-new 9G Tronic automatic transmission is making its way uh, into the world and making a debut uh, in the brand-new Mercedes-Benz E350 Bluetech. It's now on sale in Europe. Now, here's the thing. According to the German automaker, the 9-speed transmission helps achieve a fuel efficiency of just 5.3 liters of gasoline for every 100 kilometers driven. What? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Like, could you imagine, put that in our van, you know, because we've got a family van, right? Five, five people in our family, so. But here's the kicker. They say, how does it work? Well, once you get up to 120 kilometers an hour, it 
shifts into ninth gear. Mm-hmm. And in ninth gear, it, it only rotates at about 1,300, 1,350 RPMs. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's like idling, moving down the highway at mm-hmm. 120 kilometers an hour. Yeah. But here's the thing. Here in Canada, our speed limit on the highway is 90 kilometers an hour. Or 100. Sometimes 100 if you're <laughs> on a straight stretch or something where, you know, that it may be up to 100. But mm-hmm. usually that's a construction zone, and so the signs say 80. It's going to be 80 to 100. But yet, we've had the conversation before where, you know, I'm doing Everybody 100. Everybody drives 120 at least. I'm doing 100 on the highway because that's the maximum speed that it says we're supposed to go, and someone zips by at 130. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at that and thinking, okay, so in order to take advantage of this new engine, I have to basically break the law in Canada. We don't have an Autobahn here, folks. It just seems kind of useless to me. It's not well, it, it might be useless to you, but... It's useless to me. But <laughs> the commuter who's doing else, 30 kilometers the over there. the speed limit, there you go. Increase your fuel efficiency, you jerks. <laughs> so that yeah, you, can, so you can get pays? away from the What's cops. This? What? Crime pays. What's this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you gotta you got to do 20, 30 over the speed limit in order to take advantage of this transmission. Here in Canada. I know it's different elsewhere. I, I don't speed, and so, you know, it's like it's I'm stuck in sixth gear. What good is that? I'm getting about, I don't know, 30 liters for every 100 kilometers. <laughs> it feels like yeah. sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> what else we got? Okay, scientists at Imperial College London have designed a concept mission to land astronauts on Mars. The plan envisages okay. a three-person crew journeying to Mars aboard a small two-part craft. Three people. Three people. Three people to Mars. This is going to be multi-billions <laughs> of dollars, possibly trillions. Yeah. And they can only send myself, Becca, and one lucky viewer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the craft would rotate to generate artificial gravity and use a heat shield to protect itself against solar flares. The crew would then return to Martian orbit in the pre-sent craft, fueled using ice from beneath the planet's surface. Oh. The concept, developed in conjunction with the BBC, of all things, is intended to spark further deba- debate about the technical obstacles and risks that would have to be overcome in order to put human on, humans on Mars. Okay. The new imperial concept comes amid renewed interest in the Red Planet, with two private groups having proposed missions. Okay, two things that stand out to me there. First of all, BBC is involved in this? Mm-hmm. Yes, apparently. So is this like I a documentary? Are it, we going to see this? That would be my guess, that they would like document the whole process the from start to, to finish, Mars. put it all together. That would be amazing. Yeah. It'd be like, six it's, literally, it's literally just 15 minutes of that per episode. <laughs> Black. Because there's, no, Doesn't there's nothing. Doesn't it take out. like six months to travel? It'd to be Mars? a long documentary, filmed like 24. You have to watch it in real time. Yeah. Maybe it'd be like the Truman Show, where yeah. you know everybody just well, watches. Well, it doesn't say anything about a real time documentary. No, I know. I'm just totally kidding. This entirely speculation. It's just odd to hear that the BBC is involved in this project. But yeah. what else stood out to me is that they're okay. So they're powering the ship by ice under the surface of Mars. Ice from beneath the planet's surface. So. So there's. Is that a discovery? That's did, did I miss something? We have ice on under the surface of Mars? Maybe I've missed something, but that sounds like there would have to be water and that it would have to be cold. <laughs> but maybe it's... I've always thought of Mars as being kind of a hot place. That's what I was thinking. Maybe because it's... Don't you remember Marvin the Martian? Yeah. Like, he had to wear, like, a really short kilt <laughs> just to stay cool. Yeah. So it's I probably just psychological. It's red, and we think red. We Maybe. equate it with fire, hot. It's true, but and we also think, the like, fact that Pluto, it looks like a desert. Then there's Pluto, which is yeah. blue and apparently cold. <laughs> it <laughs> might be a little blue, nippy. The symbolism of colors. <laughs> the symbolism of colors. Dear me, I don't know. Well, if you I know think more that's about a long. It. I think that's a long time in coming. A long. It is all just an idea at this point. It's not like we can take a three-person trip to the moon and do a little exploration and here they're talking about taking three yeah. people to Mars. It's pretty much the space station It's or like, nothing. show show me that we can go to the moon first and then we'll talk about True Mars. Enough. I don't know. That's a good I'll idea. I'll believe it when it happens. Yeah, like just work on the moon space base. Yeah. 
use 3D printers to make the, the stuff well, it would, it would be amazing to go to the moon and walk around if that was <clears throat> an option. But they want to go yep. to Mars. As they've always been obsessed with Mars. So we'll see. Can't blame them. It's kind of cool. Space travel. Awesome. Hey, uh, gamers, here's something neat for you. Have you been you know, ever in, into games? Yeah. All right. So games started like this. No, started like this. Then it went yeah. to this. Then it went to this. Now it's this. Right, mm-hmm. so Disney is experimenting with a brand new technology, and you're going to be able to th- feel the actual thwack of the ball as you're hitting it in the air. It doesn't actually exist, but you're going to actually be able to feel that or bullets whizzing by your head. Imagine that. Um, this is called airflow technology. They're uh, hoping that it's going to take off. It's dubbed Aerial. And the technology allows users to feel physical feedback from virtual images without ever having to wear anything like gloves or, uh, you know, virtual reality belts or vests. There's none of that involved. How it actually works is that there is uh, basically a system that is connected in with the virtual reality experience or whatever you want to call it, the gaming experience that uses puffs of compressed air. And they're blown at different strengths and speeds, and they simulate tactile experiences. While motion sensors have allowed gamers to interact with 2D uh, screens without the need for handheld controllers now, uh, they're aiming to make these virtual experiences actually have a tactile feel to them. Disney was showing off this technology as they're experimenting, experimenting with it at SIGGRAPH Conference in Anaheim, California. So that could be interesting, but it could also be deadly. <laughs> How so? Well, I'm thinking about the fact that, okay, so you've got all these little jets of compressed air around your TV or whatever, and you know the kids. What, peas, dog food? <laughs> whatever they can find that would fit in those little compressed air sockets, they're going to be pushing it in there. Carrots? <laughs> Projectiles, folks. Yeah. So it's like, okay, anybody want to play the new <laughs> Wii 2015 Sports by Disney? All right. Stand here, and you're getting shot at by peas, and yeah. talk about feeling the bullets going by. Yeah, that's that would be my fear. But who knows? How realistic can it be? Let's let's experiment well, it kinda, with it's that. It's like um, a very primitive prototype of true holodeck technology. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I like where you're going with this. Well, we all know what happens when things go wrong in the holodeck. You can actually Moriarty. <laughs> You can get seriously injured. Yes. But, uh... This would be a a very confining technology to Moriarty. Just in the TV. With the ability to blow on you. (laughs) They should introduce... They should introduce other other things, like smell. That'd be amazing. Like Google Google Sniff or whatever it was called? Yeah, yeah. No, but uh, maybe you could um, not just feel a gun with a bullet with right. past your head you would also smell the gunpowder the, the gunpowder and the aroma of the sulfur and yeah that would be kind of neat yeah. how would they do that they'd actually have to shoot you well they would have to build a holodeck okay and incorporate all, right. all these so things. work on that you should be able disney. to walk through Come a on, forest disney. you should be able to feel the leaves on your fingers I what agree. is this primitive technology what is this what is this like 2013 <laughs> <laughs> We're going to look back on this, folks, and say, <laughs> his TV blew on him, and they thought that was cool. <laughs> his TV blew on him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a little puff what of a... air in your face. <laughs> I'm playing soccer. I mean, hello. <laughs> you feel that? It's amazing. You want this experience? <laughs> Try it, folks. At home? <laughs> oh, dear. That's it. That's it for the news. Yeah, you can get the full stories at category5.tv slash newsroom. This week, the category5.tv newsroom is researched by Roy W. Nash with contributions by our community of viewers. And if you have a news story you think is worthy of on-air mention, email newsroom at category5.tv. For the category5.tv newsroom, I'm Becca Ferguson. Thanks, Becca. All right, so... Through the magic of television, because all right, we're gonna we're gonna go back to our feature here tonight about virtualizing this laptop computer to a, a virtual box, virtual machine. Mm-hmm. Through the magic of television, we are able to skip over the actual time that it takes because 
let's be honest, it takes 12, 15, maybe 20 hours to, to create that image on our network. It really takes a lot of time. That's why we pre-recorded tonight for you so that you could actually experience this and learn uh, how this is done. So we're able to skip over that time and jump straight back into the feature. So our cloned, our, our image that's cloning over to that uh, that temp folder on my Unraid server is all done. And there we have it. We're at 100% complete. And now the final step is that it needs to sync that image. And it doesn't take very long to do that, as you see. And so I just hit enter. And now the final step is to power off my laptop computer. We're done. It got a good image. And again, an image is basically just a copy of the entire hard drive. So now we've got something that we can work with. That image, if you will, is not just perfect for what we're doing here tonight, which is creating a virtual machine. This is an ideal backup solution for a full 100% revertible position for your, pardon me, for your computer. So now that I've done that with the laptop, if tomorrow my hard drive crashed, I could put another hard drive in and I could restore the, the laptop hard drive back from our network because we have an up-to-date image of it. Mm -hmm. And it's a full it's not a backup, it's a full image. So it is literally a duplicate of the entire hard drive, including the file system, all the files, all mm. the programs, all the network shares, all the user accounts, everything is there. Because wow. it's the entire hard drive. So it really makes a really great, you know, 100% solution for backups as well. If you want to run it, you know, I run it when I get a new computer. I got a new laptop, you know, a couple years back. The first thing I did was I created an image. Mm -hmm. So that if we fill it up with a bunch of extra stuff that we don't need anymore, suddenly we can wipe it out and, and it's good to go and we're, we're, we can restore it back to its original state mm -hmm. and it's fine. So that's another use case that you can use this for. Mm -hmm. So we've finished cloning that. Now we just simply need to create a virtual machine on my computer. So we've got that on the network. We don't need it. Uh, we don't need the laptop anymore because we've got our image ready. Mm -hmm. We're going to use a tool called VirtualBox, and you've ex you've had some experience with VirtualBox as well. Yep, I uh, have limit Linux on my computer, so I use it uh, just to access QuickBooks. VirtualBox uh, yeah. has a virtual machine that has Windows XP. Mm -hmm. We did exactly this, where we took our old bill. We called it our billing computer mm -hmm. when we had uh, our company and we converted it over to a virtual machine. So now Becca runs exclusively Linux, and the kids use exclusively Linux, mm -hmm. but QuickBooks is one of those Windows programs that there is no installer for Linux, mm -hmm. plain and simple. It doesn't run on Linux. You can't use it on, on Wine very well, and there's all these kinds of issues. So we just decided, okay, let's virtualize that computer, and here's a scenario where now, okay, well, Becca's not tied down to Windows. She can run her favorite operating system, Linux, how do you like Linux, by the way? It's great. Side question. You know, the kids love it. They're like, why do they run Windows at school? It's so weird. It doesn't have tux. That's what they say. Yeah, I don't think they mentioned anything to do with Windows. They just said that they didn't have tux. Yeah, why don't they have tux? But they know what Linux is. So that, I'm raising them well, folks. <laughs> raising them well. So now that our virtual machine is on the network... As I'm saying, okay, we need to create that virtual machine. We've got VirtualBox from virtualbox.org. It's a free virtualization program, so you don't have to pay for it. But it is for non-commercial use as far as how we're using it tonight because we're using what's called the extension pack, and that gives us access to SATA drivers and to uh, USB 2.0 bus. You're going to need that for, for this type of uh, work that we're doing. So get over to virtualbox.org. Follow the prompts to download and install it. You probably don't want to install the version that is in the repositories uh, for your favorite Linux operating system. The reason for that is because that is the absolutely free version. USB, SATA, these kinds of things are proprietary. They're patented technologies, and so um, they're not available in the free version. You've got to get the full version with the extension pack, and that's going to give you all the extra stuff. So once you've got VirtualBox now, I've already got it installed, so I'm golden. I'm ready to go. Uh, we're going to actually do a couple of things before we even fire up VirtualBox. First thing is we want to find out uh, what well, we want to get ourselves. I mentioned we're going to go back to clonezilla.org. We want to get a, f a f copy of the ISO image that we can boot our new virtual machine from once it's, once it's time to do so. So the first thing we need to do is determine what version of 
clonezilla we used on our flash drive to create the uh, cloned image. So we're going to bring back up UNet Booten on the same computer and just look at the clonezilla distribution and check the version that we used. <clears throat> so back to clonezilla, it's 1.1.0-8. So now back at clonezilla.org, we're going to go to download over on the left hand side there. Or downloads, and then scroll down a little ways. We're not going to actually grab one of the stable installs. We're going to go to Clonezilla Live File Mirrors, and we're going to go to just pick any mirror, and we're going to go to the old stable branch because we know this is an older version that came with uh, UNet Booten. And in fact, I find that the older versions work better than the current version. So there's the version we're looking for, 1.1.0-8. So I just want to download the ISO file to my computer. Now, once that's downloaded we've got a full uh, copy of the uh, basically the CD. We don't need to burn it to CD because we're using a virtualization platform. So we're going to virtualize it. Let's bring up VirtualBox and create a new virtual machine. And we call this the Windows 7 laptop. There we go. And how much RAM do we want? Same as the laptop, 4 gigs. And uh, we're going to just create the disk and it's going to be a VDI image. Just defaults are fine. Do you want it to be a dynamic disk or a fixed disk? Um, <laughs> the only reason you want fixed is if you want to use up a lot of space and increase performance. We're going to go dynamic so that we save the space because we don't need to worry about the performance end of things. Hard drive size needs to be a little bit bigger than what you have. I think it's a 500 gig hard drive in there, so I'm going to go 501, and that just makes sure that the image will indeed fit on our virtual hard drive. So now that we've created the machine, bring up your settings and go through things like set, uh, system. Make sure virtualization is turned on here. Uh, that's important. Uh, we want to turn on 3D and 2D acceleration and increase our video memory for Windows to be able to utilize those technologies. And then we want to mount that Clonezilla image. So as a CD, we're going to browse to the image that we just downloaded. That's perfect. And that actually is just like inserting a CD into the CD-ROM because it's virtual. Make sure you change your network to bridged mode, otherwise Clonezilla is not going to be able to see your network share, which is where we've saved our image. And that's really all we need to do. So now just uh, literally all we need to do is boot up our virtual machine and start restoring that image. So let's do it. Um, if you have any questions for us tonight, get into the chat room, email us live at category5.tv is the best way to get us tonight. Here we go. So notice because I've got that CD technically inserted there, it's booting right from Clonezilla. I can use a higher resolution this time because we've got a better system than a video camera pointed at a screen. There we go. So now this again, now this is going to look very similar to what you've already seen. You know what, uh, what we're looking at here. Everything looks, it's just Clonezilla. The difference here is that we're going to be restoring the image that we created rather than creating an image of the internal hard drive. So remember, everything that we do here is in a virtual machine. I'm going to follow the prompts just like I did the first time. Being that it's a virtual machine, any changes that I make to a hard drive, anything that's destructive is only going to be to the virtual machine. right? So device to image again, and Samba Share. And uh, just follow the prompts just like before. DHCP, change my server address once it comes up here. Doesn't take long. See how quick this is to get in. 10.0.0.5 is my server, no domain. Change my username for the Samba share. And the path, which is the share name. There we go. So everything mounted perfectly again. And now this time I'm actually going to restore an image. I'm not going to create one. I'm going to restore the, the one that I've already created. So again, I want to disable the fact that, uh, you know, I want to turn off that it's going to do anything, uh, like prompt me for anything, so I'll turn off dash C. You can go through, this is kind of neat that it will change the host name for you automatically, so when I boot up the virtual machine it'll automatically have a new host name, I don't have to worry about my laptop now conflicting with the same host name, so I'll choose one of those options, I'm going to choose MAC address just to let it go, and that's going to change the name of the computer on the network so that it doesn't conflict with the actual physical laptop. And then we'll just turn that off because we don't want to be bothered with questions. And let the rest go. So everything else looks good. Okay.
choose the first. That's just the warning about uh, encryption. If you have an encrypted, I should have mentioned this, if your laptop was encrypted, then you didn't want to do the MAC address change uh, because that could cause some corruption. In our case, it's not an encrypted file system, so we're good to go. That's fine. Just be mindful of that. If, you're, if the one that you used to create the image was encrypted, then you could have a problem. What is the prefix of your uh, your new host name that you want to use? I'm going to probably change it to VM. I like to see that on my network so I know what's virtual and what's real. And it's automatically detected the image that's on my TMP share. And where do you want to save it? That's my virtual hard drive in virtual disk, so, uh, in virtual box. So everything that is changed, everything that's written to disk, every warning it gives me that says, oh, you're going to overwrite all your files, it's okay because it's just a virtual hard drive. It's not real. It's just a file somewhere on my Linux file system, and it is, it is destructive, but there's nothing on it. So we just created it, just like creating a file. So do we want to proceed? Absolutely. And that's going to go through. So now this process is not going to take quite as long. It's probably going to be about an hour, two hours to restore the image. Uh, again, it took, whether it be, it was between about 12 and 20 hours. Uh, I don't know, I ran it overnight. Make sure your imaging is going to happen overnight. And keep in mind that your computer system that you're using is going to be offline during that time. This one moves a little bit faster when it's restoring. But again, it's going to take a couple hours at least. Um, but I think that it's reasonable to say that you could probably restore that in a night. So the thing about the way that Windows and Linux and everything works, well, they're, they're a little bit different. A Linux machine, so if, if your laptop was Linux say, or if I wanted to image your desktop computer. So any Linux machine, I could create an image of it and restore it and move it onto a virtual machine and boot it right up and it's going to be perfect and it's going to work because it automatically detects the changes and reinitiates any modules and drivers that are needed. Mm -hmm. Windows, on the other hand, it detects everything when you first install it. So then it disables and removes things that it doesn't need, which is clever in a way, but what happens in a case like this, we've moved it on to, as far as Windows is concerned, we've moved Windows onto new hardware. So if we try to boot it up, it's just going to say, ah, this is not the hardware I was installed on. I don't know how to read from this hard drive bus. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. Um, it doesn't have the correct drivers installed. Everything's wrong. So it craps out it is going to you know typically windows xp would blue screen of death that you're familiar with um, in windows 7's case if i tried to boot up just right now it would just reboot and reboot and reboot because it's just doing mini dumps over and over again and just crashing upon boot because it's not like linux where so that that what i'm saying there is if you have a windows uh, linux system pardon me that you want to move over it will do it just fine and you'll be able to boot it up we're done for you we're done at this point. It's going to work, and you'll be able to boot up, and you're good. For Windows users, however, there is uh, there's there are quite a few other steps that need to be taken in order to get this system bootable. We are going to cover all of those steps next week so that you can get this system bootable. First things first, though, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to enable something called IOAPIC. And I jotted it down because I knew I would forget what the acronym is. APIC is Advanced Programmable Interrupt Controllers. Whew. See why I was going to forget that? I don't want to bore you with really boring technical details, but let's go back in time about 20 years in computing and 10 years in computing when if you put in an ISA card, uh, any cards in your computer, they were assigned an IRQ. And that was basically like a number that said, okay, here's how the operating system communicates with this card. So if you had two cards, that was okay. If you had three, it might say, oh, I'm out of IRQs. I don't have any more numbers to assign, so I'll share the same IRQ number with two cards. Then all mm. of a sudden you had what's called an IRQ conflict. Mm. It was a big problem. So yeah. Intel comes along and says, okay, well, we'll make something better. We'll call it IOAPIC. It's an, a more advanced version of IRQ system, and now we don't really encounter that anymore. You plug mm. a card in, it just works. Cool. It's a cool thing, but... It's only available on it's it's on modern architecture computers. So our laptop definitely has it. Your computer probably has it. So because Windows came off of that computer, we know that Windows, upon installation, would have detected, oh, this computer supports IO APIC. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to activate that. 
if we then put it onto a computer that did not support that, Windows will never boot because it doesn't support the architecture right. of the system that was installed. So what we need to make sure is, because we're working with virtual hardware, nothing is real, it's all not physical hardware, it's virtual, but we can actually make sure that our virtual hardware supports I.O. APIC. In order to do that, all we need to do is bring up the settings of the virtual machine, and you'll see, I believe it's on the system uh, page on the left-hand side here. Yeah, there it is. Enable I.O. APIC. So by clicking on that and then hitting OK, now we should be able to double-click on the virtual machine. And it won't boot just yet, Windows 7, but at least we're going to get a little bit further than we would. Keep in mind that if you didn't have I.O. APIC active and it was active on your original machine, right here it's just going to keep rebooting and rebooting and rebooting and you're not going to get any further. I think we're going to get further than that tonight because of the I.O. APIC. So let's see how it goes. This is the moment of truth when it kind of sits there like that. And there we go. Didn't reboot. It's bringing it up. We've got our copyright and uh, mouse cursor. Desktop wallpaper. That's always a good thing. Okay, so now the uh, the repair wizard is actually detecting that, hey, you've put this hard drive in a new computer. You've got different hardware now. Uh, we want to find out what's going on, and we want to see if we can fix it. Now, chances are pretty good that, well, that's, there are there's a small chance that Windows repair tool there may, may get your operating system up and running. Mm -hmm. Better chance that it won't. So next week, we're going to actually go through all the steps that, uh, that we need to take in order to get that system absolutely bootable. Thanks for watching tonight. I know it's very technical. It's very, it's a lot of techno babble. Becca's starting to go. <laughs> the pictures are going to be great. You watch the website. There's going to be a lot of pictures of me sitting here going, ah, dude. <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> drifting this way. Uh, and that's okay. And I hope you haven't been like that at home. Maybe, you know, the popcorn has helped or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, sometimes we have to get into something technical. And that's okay because we're a technical show to some degree. Mm -hmm. so to some degree. <laughs> something for everyone, show. right? <laughs> well, absolutely. Um, and, but tonight, because this is such a, I think what I'm saying is usually we dedicate about 20 minutes to the really technical uh, per episode. This is such a big thing to do. We've done our best using magic and fandangled, <laughs> you know, editing practices and the ability to, uh, to, to, piece things together in time we've been able to skip over a lot of the time consuming things this could never happen on live tv because this is a 20 25 hour process mm -hmm. so we've been able to put this together for you in such a way so it is much more than what we could fit into a 20 minute segment mm -hmm. so it gets a little bit geeky so thank you for hanging in with me tonight and uh, we must have some questions, things like that. Don't miss next week when we finish this off, okay? And get your questions in live at Category5.tv. And it's always a pleasure to have my beautiful wife with me <laughs> by my side. It's been a long time since you've been on, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. A few years. That's yeah, unreal. Yeah, I think it was probably the, maybe the second season. I don't even really? remember now. Like when Carrie was around. No. Well, can't have been that long. It feels no, like you it was came a few on and we talked back. about Linux. I think it was about 190 or so, just before the 200th episode. Maybe I'm off. No, it might have been know. 109. Who knows? Feels like it was a few yeah, years could ago. Could have been 109. And then you did some. You did the news for us for a little while, but that was a long time ago. That's hard to believe that time flies so much. But <laughs> she is very active actively involved in the show folks so if you ever notice that you don't hear screaming kids during the broadcast that's probably <laughs> becca who is assisting with that so appreciate that very much what do you got for me um i've got three <laughs> comments here all right side the first one is from danny harbour hey danny and he says, Robbie, I need to hire you to fix this problem. Point Linux Citrix ICA client error, SSL error 61. You have not chosen to trust the issuer of the sec server's security certificate. I'm pretty sure I have. <laughs> you have to copy <laughs> the .crt file into the folder slash USR slash LIB slash ICA client, etc., etc., etc. I cannot find the folder and I need this fixed for work. Oh. 
Okay, well, it, um, there's not a whole lot of detail about what it is that you're trying to do there, Danny. Um, it sounds to me like you're perhaps administering a Apache server, like a web server. And you're trying to get a secure certificate so that you can get HTTPS without the error message that it's an untrusted source for the site. Um, if that's the case, um, it, it can be done. It's something that you could do. Um, but it sounds like you're following maybe a tutorial because you're looking for this user lib ICA client keystone certs and it's not necessarily there in your system because if you're following some tutorial and then you're using a different version of something or maybe you've never installed a cert before so there's no you know the folders don't exist or whatever it's different for every system really because really it is just a file and and the the cert file the CRT and the uh, the various files that go along with that the key and all that um, just needs to be in a folder on your server's hard drive that is root accessible but not accessible to the world not accessible to your users because you don't want people to be able to access that file in such a way that they can read the contents because it contains very very private information it's a it's probably a decrypted key on your server it should be decrypted because you don't want it to be prompting for a password every time Apache restarts so you don't want people to access it so your tutorial may or may not be helping you um, it's really just a matter of understanding your way around installing a certificate on an Apache server or it could be Nginx or whatever it is that you're doing if you truly need to hire somebody then of course pop me an email um, in all seriousness and and let me know that uh, that that's something that you want to do I have been known I've done it before uh, where I've been hired to help install a cert uh, somebody was having a very you know just a challenge with getting a cert installed on their server and their client was relying on it so I just remoted in and sent the bill after the fact and I and I don't do that personally I do that through my work so mm -hmm. um, I can certainly help with that if that's something that you're serious about um, so just pop me another email to let me know but it's a it's a tough it can be tough to learn once you learn it it's really really easy but it's it's complicated when you're first trying to get into getting into that kind of server administration so thanks for the question though appreciate it Hope to hear from you, and I will receive your money. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay, the next one <laughs> is from Jay Kidd. Hey, Jay. And he says, hello, could you tell me what headsets you use for the show? Are they wireless? Mm. How do you hook them up to your audio mixer? All right. Yeah, these are Apex 575s. Uh, and they're pretty decent. They're uh, they sound really good, as you can hear. Um, the sound is fantastic. Um, and but I guess the co-hosts you, you tend to find they are, they're a little bit tough to get them on your ear properly, aren't they? A little bit finicky. That's just the way that they are. Now I've got mine pretty good, but if anyone because co-hosts change, you know, everybody's got a different shape ear, or whatever, and it can be kind of difficult. So so it's kind of like a you want to have one for everybody but they do sound really really good these are hardwired I don't know if you can see I've actually got a wire that goes down the back of my shirt and if I may I'll just show you what it goes into I've got a, a hip pack here a belt pack this converts Audio-Technica to XLR the Apex 575 comes with a bunch of cables I chose Audio-Technica because it was easy to get a, an adapter for the uh, Audio-Technica um, style input convert over to XLR. We go into a, a Behringer Zenix, uh, looks like a 1002B board, and it's got the phantom power built in. We don't use a separate uh, power module. Then it goes into a Behringer Ultramizer Pro. That's the compressor to keep it um, so the levels are, are good. Mm -hmm. If I talk loud, it's the same as if I talk quietly. Um, here in the studio, I was very loud. You jumped. Yeah. <laughs> And then we've got a BBE Sonic Maximizer at the end of the chain. That just crystallizes the sound. It's, we used to call it, you know, in the studio, we call it Christmas. It was adding Christmas to the, to the mix <laughs> because it's just that little shimmer. It's a sparkle. Like when you look out over Christmas, it's just sparkly and shimmery. <laughs> that's what the BBE Sonic Maximizer does. Can I show you what it, because it's one of those things that's really hard to explain what a BBE Sonic Maximizer does. It literally has two knobs and a button. That's it. There's nothing, there's no screen, there's nothing to it. I'm going to turn it off just so that you can hear what we sound like without the Sonic Maximizer. And now it's off. So you hear how the levels, if you're, especially if you're listening with headphones, it sounds a little bit flat. Becca, if you give me a sound check. 
Uh, this is what it sounds like with it turned off. Okay, so now I'm going to turn back on the BBE Sonic Maximizer process, and that's just punching it in. So here we go. We're back in again. That's the BBE Sonic Maximizer back on. Again, if you're wearing headphones, you're going to hear a big, big difference, and you can give me another sound check. And this is what it sounds like with it turned back on. There you go. So that's basically our audio chain. It starts with the microphones. They are excellent um, headsets. They sound really, really good. Um, if you can get them adjusted properly, mine, I've got it really, really good, but I'm on every single week. Uh, the co-hosts uh, do have a little bit more trouble with it because everybody well, it, adjusts it, it a little fine. bit. Well, it feels fine once it's on. Once it's on, on. Yeah. yeah. Good, good. So, um, <laughs> But that's really my only complaint about the mics, like if I could complain about them. But the sound is exceptional. I like, I like them. They're good to us. <laughs> we did hardwired because we used to use wireless. I don't know if you recall, Becca, but wireless, you know, in a studio like this, we don't need wireless. So why do wireless? Mm -hmm. You don't need it. Mm -hmm. um, and we would have interference from neighbors' portable phones and stuff. <laughs> and so, you know, you're in the middle of a show and all of a sudden you, you hear somebody dialing a telephone and we never know it until we watch the show back. So, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> something we just wanted to avoid. We've got time for a really, really quick one. I know we're a little bit over time, but we did a major feature tonight, so I'm okay with that if you're okay with that. So. Okay, so one more then. All right. Um, this is by IBM Jim. Hey, IBM Jim. Robbie, enjoy very much seeing you and your co-hosts each week. Topics including web development, security, backup strategies, graphics, and Linux distributions are always informative and thought-provoking. Although I am a Windows user, I have been thinking about converting an old 2000-era PC Dell XPS T700R, now running Windows 2000 to Linux, adding a new mm. video card with HDMI output, and perhaps adding a TV tuner to create a remote system with short-range um, wireless control used as an HDV TV input source for unrestricted web streaming, such okay. as comedians and cars getting coffee.com, and off the off-the-air recordings. Uh, mm -hmm. Perhaps video boards with HDMI output might present PCI compatibility issues, and I'm sure there would be other challenges. Alternately, just getting a new low-end desktop configured for this purpose might make more sense. If you haven't covered this topic recently, I would love to see a show or two on this topic. Thank you, and all those who give their time to the show, Jim. Jim, I think there are so many dedicated boxes that are built for this purpose that you're just throwing away money on this old thing. Uh, I tried it. Remember, we we got a case that was a beautiful rack mountable, had the screen and everything, and a remote control to build uh, a computer uh, HTPC, home theater PC. Mm -hmm. Remember that? And it sat in storage for so long because I put a motherboard in it from an old computer. I put graphic cards in it, and it just could not keep up with HD video. These old computers can't do it, Jim. You need to have a more powerful processor in order to do it. So then it becomes, okay, well, why don't you just go and get yourself like one of these Ricoh Magic MK602s that sits above the TV, and it's got a built-in webcam, and it's got HDMI out, and it's all built in. Uh, or better yet, you know, if you want to step it up, you can get the MK802 uh, IV, which we're going to be reviewing on the show in a few weeks. These kinds of things are all pre-built. Becca and I, uh, we use an iOS device. Uh, from Pivos, I'll put links in the show notes for episode number 307. Uh, we have a Zios as well, uh, which are all just fancy names for their devices that are pre-built for watching HDTV, and they're just basically mini computers. Yeah. Uh, my iOS, I love it. It's an older generation. It's from before the Zios, but I really love it. It's got a built-in hard drive, and we can just put the shows right on it and watch it without commercials. And mm -hmm. that combined with Netflix from cat5.tv slash Netflix, and we're golden. You know, So we don't even need a PVR, uh, really because Netflix kind of provides all our shows to us. But mm -hmm. I think you're just throwing money away at something like that, Jim, to be honest with you, because it's just too old. It's not going to power HDTV for you. Find one of these boxes that is reasonably priced. And I say that because they're, they start at about 60 bucks. You can't buy a video card for that. And if you can, it's not going to be good enough anyways. Yeah. You know? So realistically... They, they start so cheap, you might as well just get into one of these units. And then you got the new Google system that, you know, you plug it into your HDMI. It's much like the, uh, like the 802 IV, except with a little less features. But then you use your tablet to control the video that's up on the screen, for example. All that stuff is coming as well. So 
links, everything will be in the show notes for episode number 307. Thanks for joining us tonight. Next week, Becca and I will be back. We're going to continue our series on the uh, the virtualization of the laptop. We're going to show you how to get that to boot up. And uh, that will be uh, the end of that. And we'll be back on track with everything else. So, Becca, thanks for being here tonight. Thanks for hanging out with me. Happy to be here. Keeping the smiles on, even though I'm geekifying you. <laughs> All right, folks, have a great week and looking forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for being here. See ya. We hope you enjoyed the show. Category 5 TV broadcasts live from Barrie, Ontario, Canada every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you're watching this on demand or through cable TV, check out the local showtimes in your area at Category5.tv and find out when you can watch live and interact in the community chat room. Category 5 is a production of Prodigy Digital Solutions and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 2.5 Canada. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in.